Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Petropolis podcast. I have a wonderful guest today, Neha Taneja. She is the author of the book, A Paw Partnership. Neha, what's going on? How are you? Hi, Taz. How are you? Thank you for having me on Petropolis today. I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about um, some of the some of the things that we've talked about and share them with your audience. So I'm really excited to be here today. I'm excited to have you. I read your book. There's so much in there about burnout, pet ownership, turnover, uh, what's going on now. And I think every everyone in the veterinary field, especially vet techs, should be reading this. Um, it it touches on things that have all come to a head, I think, more in the last year than ever. Yes, um, definitely. When COVID hit and started, I had actually started planning writing this book about six months prior to COVID. So in 2019 is when I actually decided I think I should write a book about some of these issues. And then when COVID happened, I was um, maybe about halfway along with with my book. And I was like, oh, my God, like I need to incorporate so much more just with how everything was amplified, especially pet ownership, the burnout, compassion fatigue, and everything that was going on in the veterinary industry, and also on the pet ownership side. Well, let, let's start with you uh, telling us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I have been in the veterinary industry since 2008. I started off as a kennel attendant, um, worked my way through all of the different positions in a, in a veterinary hospital. So I worked as a veterinary assistant, veterinary technician, worked in customer service at the front desk as well, um, made my way into management, became a licensed vet tech. And um, currently I'm working in IT right now, but I'm also working in animal hospitals on the floor. And recently I just picked up some shifts in the emergency room. So that's a whole nother ball game with, the mo with most of my experience being in general practice um, being able to work in an emergency practice has totally opened my eyes and it's kind of just reinforced why I wrote this book and that a lot of these concerns and challenges are across the board, not just in, in one area. So, so let's start with the concerns. So one of the biggest concerns in the veterinary industry currently is burnout. A lot of veterinary professionals have just been working so hard throughout COVID and they were already struggling to keep up with the current patient patient load that was coming in. And then with COVID pet ownership spiked tremendously. Um, there, This is probably the time that there's been the most amount of pets owned by people um, in history. And it, all of them are needing veterinary care and our pet owners are so much more educated that they they want the best for their pet and they're asking these questions, but our industry is just not able to keep up with it. And a lot of the demand compared to, I guess the supply in this case is the veterinary professionals, that ratio is just, it's just not there anymore. So a lot of people have been leaving the profession due to burnout. Um, there have been more cases about 
suicide in the profession with veterinary technicians actually now most at risk before it was veterinarians, but veterinary technicians are most at risk for contemplating suicide. And there's also a lot of concern around the low wages that veterinary professionals are paid. So they're not paid appropriately for the work that they're doing. Um, one of the reasons I personally decided to step away from my full-time role is because that was a huge thing. I, wouldn't, I couldn't afford living on my own with the salary I was making. I know I'm in New York City. I know what I pay for just a single vet visit. You're grinning. Um, and one of, in one part of your book, you had written uh, Americans spend, as of 2011, the average American spent $636 yearly on their pet. So that is barely one of my vet visits, barely. And every animal goes to the vet twice a year. And what if they need a dental? That's just go in for the checkup and the CBC and the urinalysis. That's it. If we need to do anything else, like an ultrasound or anything, and that's just an add-on. So that visit comes out to about $1,000. In New York anyway, what, what I'm familiar in, and also other areas, vets cost a lot of money. Going to the vet clinic costs a lot of money. How much of that vet that portion that the consumer is paying for that vet visit is actually going to the humans in the practice as opposed to the organization. Right, so I'm glad that you asked that question because I'm sure a lot, I'm sure you'll be surprised at how much of that actually goes to the people working. So this would be your support staff, um, including your vet techs, your vet assistants, the front desks and management um, about you, standard is about 18 to 20% would go to paying the people and everything else is depending on the organization you work for either goes um, goes towards you know lab equipment, lab fees, um, paying for maintenance or if you have a radiology machine and you you know you have to keep up your subscription for that goes towards those things um, and then part of it goes, you know, for the for-profit companies that goes, you know, goes to them and they can either reinvest that in the business or keep it to grow, um, however they decide to utilize that. Um, so a lot of, there are a lot of expenses um, in a veterinary hospital and um, unfortunately to keep up with that, you have to constantly increase your revenue stream as well, which, you know, which can mean increased pricing, um, new services, um, you know, educating the, you know, your clients or participating in wellness packages. Um, one, one area, I don't know, we'll get into this later, but one area that I think is very underutilized across the board is pet insurance coming mm -hmm. from, you know, yeah. pet owners being aware that there's pet owners or pet insurance and veterinary staff also being able to educate the pet owners about pet insurance. Like for yeah. example, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, it's, it's relative, if you if you have seen your pets, it's hard to get pet insurance for them. But all these new pet owners, you would think that the breeders or the rescue organizations would say, listen, get insurance, it will save you, it won't, because you were depleted from with your savings because of your mm -hmm. own veterinary needs, and you're working in the industry, your animal needed care. So I mean, 
people euthanize their pets because they can't afford it. I was speaking with someone who uh, runs a shelter and she said, biggest problem with animals being taken to the shelter is they can't afford their medical care. It's poverty. So yeah, well, insurance needs to be a huge part of uh, pet ownership and needs to be brought, put up front. And I think the sticker price on some insurance premiums probably scares some pet owners or, you know, they don't anticipate kind of the 10 to 15, 20 years of that pet's life. They're kind of just looking at the present, but um, having gone through it myself with my first dog, I had no idea there was pet insurance until I started working in the industry. And by that time she was already a senior pet. So it was kind of like, is it worth it or is it not? But um, with my next set of dogs, I was like, I'm getting pet insurance and it, just as a pet owner, it makes me feel so much better that I don't have to question the dollar amount associated with their care. I can kind of just go ahead and be like, yeah, go ahead and do it. My insurance will take care of it. And I, you know, I pay attention to what the payout limits are per condition. Um, The premiums increase a little bit every year, but that peace of mind versus being in a situation where I had to kind of pick out most of my savings to save my first dog's life. It's like, I, I didn't ever wanted to I never wanted money to be a question when it came to my pet's life. So interesting. A lot of people have to choose their pet's lives or um, eating for the next month uh, or covering their home expenses. So uh, I can see why insurance needs to be on the forefront of education for pet owners. Um, Yeah, I'm with you on there. Okay, so burnout turnover, low wages, um, owners that are new, and you're saying that owners are asking a lot better questions? Did you say better questions or they're asking a lot of questions and have expectations? Is owner expectation, has that changed over the years? I feel like for generational pet owners, so those who have owned pets for many, many years, they know what to expect. They know what standard, they know kind of what, how Um, pet care is progressing so that they definitely have an expectation and being in Northern Virginia, we have a very educated clientele um, for the most part, but I think, I think we've also kind of handicapped our pet owners by making them call us every single time that there is even the smallest thing that's wrong with the pet. So it could be um, there's this pet that has had chronic allergies, like all its life. <clears throat> but every single time it has an allergy flare, we say, okay, bring your pet into the vet so we can treat it. But it's kind of the same, you know, the same, the same symptoms, usually the same treatment to treat the flare, but it's always, it's always kind of treated as like, it's unknown. But when you have the pet owner who's like, no, this is constant with my dog or my cat. Um, these are the things that work. This is what I'd like. Um, it also depends on if you're seeing the same provider or you seeing the same team because with all of these things going on in the veterinary industry, it's not, it's not um, uncommon to see a different vet each time the problem flares or a different, um, a different member of the veterinary team um, when this happens. So I think in, in that regard, we have a lot of pet owners that are very educated and they know a lot about animals and their dogs or cats, especially if they've had them for a while. But then we also have a lot of 
first time pet owners, new pet owners who don't, who don't necessarily know that, you know, with a new puppy, there's a lot of training and time and management that is involved. But then there's also a lot of um, pet owners who've done their research and they're like, okay, like, I've been thinking about getting a pet for the last six months or a year. And I have a lot of friends who've actually reached out to me asking these questions, like, what do I need to be prepared for when I adopt a puppy or should I get a puppy or a middle-aged dog? And um, there's a lot more, I'm personally receiving a lot more questions about kind of the pre, pre-adoption, pre-purchase of a new animal. Um, so I think people are becoming more aware that pet ownership isn't, you don't just get a pet and it kind of just stays in your house and you figure it out. I think people are questioning more and especially on the pet food topic, um, holistic diets and raw food diets or home cooked diets have become so much more prevalent. And um, I personally, you know, working in the veterinary industry, um, we've always been guided to kind of sell this pet food brand. Um, But um, now that I'm kind of taking a step back, I'm like, you know, what is actually in the dog food that I'm feeding my pet? And, you know, maybe a lot of the issues they have could be resolved with a home cooked, home cooked diet or one of these, um, you know, one of these subscription services like Ollie or um, what have you. You know, that's interesting. I mean, I, the pet food industry is so poorly regulated and -hmm. it's also run by the same people that have taken over the veterinary industry, Mars, right? Mm -hmm. So Mars has Banfield, VCA, Blue Pearl. And since from 2015, it's kind of scary that they have prescription diets, these corporations that own the veterinary clinics, and those diets are being touted as the things that pet owners should be feeding. And there's fear tactics coming from the AVMA about raw food. A couple of years ago, the AVMA completely shut down the use of raw foods and made it seem like it's poisonous and toxic. And honestly, I mean, I personally have been feeding raw for 25, 28 years, you know, so long time. So it's very frustrating when a vet says, battles you as an educated consumer who has done the research, who does see the benefits of food, because this veterinarian is in a hospital owned by a company that manufactures these foods mm-hmm. or gave them the education, right. the nutrition education um, when they were in university. So it's a very frustrating thing for me as a pet owner. Mm-hmm. and the caretaker who wants the best for her animal and is willing to pay for it. To yeah, hear- and I think as you mentioned that, you know, you're, you feed your cats a raw diet. I think um, more veterinary nutritionists are also there to help advise how to cook a balanced diet for your pet if you prefer to cook it at home. But there's only a hand, there's only a couple of them. There's not very many. So I think the access to those resources and that education is so limited that Oftentimes it's easier to just be like, feed this kibble, it takes care of this. But it um, doesn't. I mean, it, it yeah. doesn't. Moisture is a key part of well being, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
going back to going to education, educating the pet owners, pet owners become frustrated with vets and then vets are mm -hmm. suffering because they're kind of being pulled in every direction. And that's right. where I feel bad for what they're going through in mm -hmm. the, in the hospitals that have become corporate structures owned by pet food manufacturers, candy manufacturers, yeah. right? Some of the biggest polluters of our earth, Nestle with plastics, mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's a scary thing and they mm -hmm. can pay a lot of money for marketing and they own the pet industry. So right. now they're, and this is why I'm going back. I'm going to go back to your book. Mm -hmm. My concern is this whole burnout, uh, low, low, low ages, um, being frustrated in the work, in the workplace, all that has come out, yes, it, it kind of, you know, peaked its head during mm -hmm. COVID, but it started happening before that. And then everything came to a big, you know, explosion. Right. Is it because these corporate structures have taken it, has, have taken over? I have a friend who works for one of the big organizations and he said, no, I have seven to nine minutes to complete an exam beginning to end. I'm done. Um, I have to give him all the information. And sure, yeah. yeah. And that, and I see the frustration. He's like, you know, I want to go into the corporate world. I don't want to stay in veterinary. Like, and I asked him, why did you get into this to begin with? He said, cause I really wanted to heal and I love animals. Right. And he can't, he doesn't feel that he has that ability with where he is. Mm -hmm. That's sad. Yeah. And I completely feel for him working, especially in the ER. Um, there's a lot of times that we just can't see patients. There are some that, you know, might be really having an emergency, but there isn't a vet on staff. There aren't enough technicians on staff. There's too many hospitalized case, cases to take in anymore. And um, I don't, I don't know if it's a, you know, per se a corporate problem, but I think just working in the field for as long as I have, I worked with a medical director um, whose name is mentioned in the book and both him and I had very futuristic views for our hospital. Um, we really did kind of treat it as our own, not necessarily somebody else's business, but as our own business. And it was really surprising that, um, you know, kind of the people who run the companies don't have that same vision. It's kind of like, as long as you're making the money, as long as you're making a profit, um, just keep doing what you're doing type of thing. But we're like, well, is it it's not necessarily the best patient care or it's not necessarily the best for our staff. So like, how do we get there? But I think in a lot of aspects, we had visions that were beyond what they could even process or think of that is just kind of like you, you want to move ahead and you want to keep moving ahead, but you're limited by some of these, you know, barriers and restrictions and reporting requirements where um, you're not, you're not the business owner. You don't own that business. You are just an employee. And as long as you're doing a good job, like you get paid and um, kind of so on and so forth. So um, it's just unfortunate to see that there's um, there a lot of passionate people in the industry who want it to progress, who want to implement better care. But there's, as you mentioned too, they're stretched so thin that do you take care of the pet that's in front of you or do you work towards improving that care long-term 
but you don't necessarily have the resources or the time to do anything beyond what's right in front of you. And um, that's, that's really the part that I feel like a lot of people get stuck at or are unhappy with. It's like, okay, you have somebody on the phone whose pet is critically ill or who needs to be seen, but you yourself just don't have the capacity to be able to do that because then you're putting yourself at risk. And it, it's just really a really scary thought, like in the next five to 10 years, I don't, I mean, I don't know how, what the veterinary industry is going to look like or if, if every pet is going to have access to care because there's just such a shortage and not enough um, veterinarians or technicians are coming into the field as are leaving. So, okay, so that, that takes me to um, telehealth and telemedicine. Can we have vet techs running the process so the vets can get a break so the emergency cases can be seen. How can, can, can that be part of the solution? Can you give me an overview of what you think some of those solutions can be? Yeah, so I think telehealth and telemedicine can definitely be an asset to veterinary medicine with veterinary technicians leading those. Um, I think hospitals need to have a every hospital probably has an operating plan or strategic plan, but they need to also have a futuristic plan part as part of that. Because the more um, good people you have, the more opportunity you have to train the next generation of veterinary professionals. But I think in that as well, a lot of people are scared they might lose their job if whoever they're training does better and vice versa. So I definitely ran into that a little bit being a practice manager, but once um, once everybody was able to realize that, oh, okay, like if I share my skills with the next person coming in, I'm free to explore another area of veterinary medicine. So um, there's a lot of uh, veterinary technicians I've met that really enjoy training and developing the next generation of professionals. So I definitely think this could work if practices and businesses and organizations really put an emphasis on um, training and development and allotted that time for these people to spend time training and developing versus seeing the cases that are on, you know, on board. Is there a standardized um, educational process in place right now for uh, licensed vet techs? Is this something that could be elevated where they can take some of the burdens off with the minor uh, situations with, with, you know, just right. first time ear infection, they could be seen as he's shaking his head, constantly mm -hmm. itching. All right, here, get this prescription filled. And then if this continues after seven days, make sure you make an appointment instead mm -hmm. of everything being an, emerg an emergency because, you know, pet owners wait. And that's one of the issues, you know, right. you gotta teach pet owners to not wait, mm -hmm. to look for signs, to see what's really happening with their pets. And there is, as much as they know, they're also complacent. They want you, you guys, the veterinary community to fix their problems and fix it fast because they're paying right. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so I think if we wanted to bring everything together, so for veterinary assistance, um, there are training programs for to become a vet assistant um, through certain colleges and universities, but a lot of veterinary assistants are usually trained in-house on the job. 
for per se, if you have a, you know, a veterinarian who's gone through intense schooling and then you pair them with this individual who doesn't have any veterinary knowledge, like that's very frustrating because as a vet or a vet tech, you, you don't have the support you need to provide the care that you want to, to that next pet patient. And, um, you know, a lot of times that person might get a couple of days of training and then things will get really busy and they're, they're kind of on their own. So for veterinary assistants, there is a training program, but it's not as rigorous as becoming a veterinary technician. Um, to become a veterinary technician, you have to go through, um, it's usually a two or three year program, um, similar to an associate's degree. So you can do that online with um, internships and clinic and you have to record a certain number of hours. Um, and then there's also uni or, yeah, universities and colleges that um, you can go in person, do wet labs, learn how to do all of these things. And those classes are usually taught by veterinarians. So for vet licensed vet techs, there's a lot more um, structured educational training. Whereas for veterinary assistants, there really is not. It's, um, you know, if you need somebody and they're, they seem to fit the, you know, they have a good personality, they seem to be a quick learner and want to be in the field and you are desperate, then you hire them. You know, now that people are questioning their, what their passion is and what, where they want to work and what they want to do in their lives and kind of coming more in sync with that, um, you know, maybe the typical standard of, okay, after high school, you go get a four-year college degree, but maybe it's like, okay, if you want to work in the veterinary field, pursue this route because you'll be way more specialized and educated to be able to do that type of work versus you know, the four-year degree that might really not do much for you in the veterinary field. So I think those discussions are happening now as well. Um, for me, it took me a very long time to actually pursue my veterinary technician license because I personally honestly didn't see the value of it because I was learning everything on the job. You pulled out because the wages were too low. Why would mm -hmm. people even go into this field if the wages are so low? They're being thrown into the fire. Mm -hmm. And I mean, talk about an environment that is not conducive to healing. I think they don't realize what it takes to be in the veterinary field or what the reality is. So when I first um, pursued it, my, I was just like, oh, like I love my dog and she goes to the vet and I wonder what happens to her when she's there. So that's mm -hmm. why I got into the industry. And I think a lot of people have similar stories where they, you know, they love animals, they have curiosity, they like the medicine. And then once they're in it, then they're like, oh, well, I didn't know it was actually like this, <laughs> or, you know, my growth potential would eventually be stumped and the pay, you know, the pay wouldn't be that great either. A lot of people, I think when they jump into the veterinary industry, they have this, and I've, I mean, I've seen it with a lot of people that I've hired to in the past. They're like, I really want to do this. Like eventually I'll become a veterinarian. I love animals. Um, I want to be hands-on with them. And like two, three months in, they're like, oh, I didn't know I had to lift this much or, you know, my back hurts now. And yeah, the physicality. Um, yeah. You point that out in your book, the physicality yeah. of it all. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who've been in the profession seven to 10 years, eventually this starts waxing and waning on their body. And unfortunately, you know, I don't think that's taken into account in a lot of practices that 
okay, well, if I have a hundred pound dog that can't walk and I just have a lift stretcher, it doesn't even have wheels on it. What is that going to do to my employee? Um, and um, the facility I worked at as well, that we had a boarding facility and there were a lot of dogs that were not trained on a leash. So they pulled, they pulled, you know, they kind of like pulled you around the area that they were walked in. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to go to the gym and work out because I'm tired of being pulled around by these dogs. Um, and I think that's where it comes to the pet owners um, as well, where they can help by making sure that they, you know, that they are investing time and training their pets, whether it's for nail trims, if they're being boarded, um, making sure they're getting enough exercise. And I think boarding is a whole nother conversation. Um, that has but, no um, regulation, no one watching. It's like <laughs> the business owners are creating the rules and creating a mess. A lot of animals get injured in boarding. I am not a fan of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jenny Mather is working on a, a she's, she's one of my guests on, on, on the show and uh, she's working with someone on, on um, Ollie's law because okay. the dog, it, it, it's an amazing law that I, that should be in every state kennels need to be regulated yeah every every kennel staff member needs training and mm -hmm. again yeah. you know these places charge a lot of money they turn a lot of animals and are they paying their people because their people are the key to the well-being of the animal and right. here's where pet owners could actually make a difference they should be speaking mm -hmm. up for the staff right they should be yeah. there saying hey your staff needs to get better is your staff getting paid? Do they have this training? Mm -hmm. Do they have the training? Commit mm -hmm. to paying for the training, covering that. Right. It right. gives them motivation to, I think it just empowers the staff to be present and be part of the process. Mm -hmm. right. If your staff is empowered, then, oh my God, those animals are going to do so much better. That's happening in veterinary hospitals, is you know, on the vet tech side. So um, I think boarding in medical facilities is becoming less of a less of the norm. I think there's a lot of um, daycares and other options to take pets um, where there, you know, where there is a kennel staff that can properly or give proper attention to that animal. And um, we were fortunate to have um, uh, he's a friend of mine now. And I mentioned him in the book, Andy, he was on staff for a couple of years and um, his focus was just boarding. So instead of these animals just staying in their cage for pretty much 23 hours a day, um, he would offer services to mentally stimulate them or take them on an extra long walk, um, provide um, different um, enrichment activities to them while while they were sitting in their kennel and he tried to um, teach some of the staff this and I think it went well while he was there but then obviously after he left and over time you know you kind of get back to that same okay this pet is in the cage for 23 hours a day um, so I think boarding facilities especially in medical practices are becoming less common I know of a bunch that um, stopped doing boarding over COVID. Um, but there still are some that, you know, that do that. And I think those, those are good for maybe the senior pets who require a lot of medication or like need the medical attention. But mm -hmm. if it's, you know, if it's a two-year-old lab that's boarding, mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, for a week, that's not good for that animal. And um, the veterinary teams, I think, have become more aware of signs of distress. But um, in those situations, if you know if a pet is boarding and they're stressed out, then you medicate them to get them to calm down, which isn't necessarily what what that pet needs. That pet needs activity, it needs exercise, it needs mental stimulation. So I don't think boarding facilities are the right place for a lot of these very active, um, intelligent breeds of dogs and you know even cats. Like you know they enjoy playing as well or having mm -hmm. some sort of physical connection with another human versus mm -hmm. being, you know, being isolated um, until their pet owner comes back. So um, yeah, I think <laughs> boarding, um, boarding is, I'm not a fan of boarding. I don't, I don't recommend it. I don't advocate for it, especially, you know, like I personally, I wouldn't board my pets because they're, you know, they are German shepherds. They're very intelligent. They need a lot of, um, yeah you know, one-on-one -on -one interaction and they wouldn't receive that in a boarding facility. But I think that daycares are a great alternative or another option depending on, you know, depending on the daycare. Facility, yeah, the facility and the people and right. the ownership. It's interesting because um, I had met this old school veterinarian who has invested a lot of money in the in the pet industry and in, in, in a couple mm -hmm. of pet businesses. This person, they they wanted to open up boarding facilities he, he was like adamant let's open up boarding facilities I said okay um how would you do it he's like put them in the cages and then you know just have someone come in and feed them and and uh clean up and I was like okay you're gonna do that in New York City dude and he just <laughs> he said yeah it's money it's fist over money or money over something something like that and I was like man this is ugly that you think this way but it's crazy because a lot of people will, they will do that if they need to go out of town, they will resort to that option. They because, need somebody to watch their but pet. But they're creating a fantasy in their head that their pet's yeah. okay. Right. It's, it's, it's disassociation. That's mm. all it is. They're, they're not, and then they, the pet comes home when they're home and the pet's reactive and agitated and having problems. Guess what? They had a week of solitary confinement. How would right. you feel? Mm -hmm. You were in the Bahamas. Seriously, I just, I, this is where uh, pet owner education is really important. Mm -hmm. If they choose to live in a bubble and make assumptions and not ask any questions, their animal will suffer. Right. But pet owner education is really important. My only concern is who provides that education? You know, right. we have bloggers who are get, getting paid by organizations, whether it's a kennel or a pet food company to make outlandish statements. And then we have old school vets like this guy who's <laughs> a huge investor in the, in, in pet businesses. And it's like, yeah, throw them in cages and pay somebody to write about us. Literally exact right. words. And I'm sitting there saying, Hey, I'm getting involved in operations with businesses. And this is what they want to do. Should I even stay in the pet industry? Right. It's, it's an ugly industry. Yeah. Because these animals can't tell their owner, hey, this guy didn't treat me well. He mm -hmm. forgot to take me out. He actually didn't give me my dinner. The pet mm -hmm. can't say that. Right. So who's doing the training? How did we fix this? 
I mean, I love your book, but you know, where do we see the pet industry, the, the veterinary community in 2030? Where do we right. see that? How bad is it going to get before it gets better? And what's our responsibility as pet owners? Um, of course. So um, I think it can go one of two ways. It can, I think it's definitely going to get worse before it gets better. I think people need to wake up and realize that it's more than just a job. These pets are people's like everything. They, they mean a lot to them. And um, I think one of the big things that the veterinary industry is going to have to figure out is how do you pay these people what they're worth? Um, I think instead of worrying about the money and the profits, separate the medical from the pet care aspect, like the boarding, um, separate the two because it's too much for medical staff to also be taking care of boarding pets, especially if you don't have a designated staff that will take care of, um, you know, the pets that are boarding. If you have both and you, you know, you can work it out and make sure that these animals are getting the attention and um, mental enrichment and physical exercise that they need, then that's wonderful. Um, I also think that as a pet owner, you know, before getting that pet, figure out, you know, when I'm out of town, where is my pet going to stay? Um, how much time am I going to spend training this animal? A lot of, a lot of pets need daily training um, throughout their life. Like, um, for example, my dogs, and I was told this by, was told by um, somebody who's familiar with the breed that, you know, like every six months, you're going to get a little, you're going to go backwards a little bit, and you're going to have to just reinforce that same type of um, what you expect from your dog and um, continue with that training. Or, you know, maybe four or five years later, all of a sudden, the dog's scared of thunderstorms. So how are you going to manage that? There's always going to be um, something that's going to come up for other issues that um, will happen. And I think if you have a specific breed, become educated with what to expect um, along the lines and how can you prevent some of these issues from happening, especially larger, you know, larger breed dogs, they oftentimes have joint issues and that's not uncommon. So, um, you know, what, what can you kind of do to get ahead of the curve, maybe um, do certain like rehab exercises, keep them active, their joints moving, do some um, massage therapy and things like that. Um, I think pet owners should also be aware that there could always be emergencies. So again, pet insurance is a huge, a huge thing. Looking into those policies, talking with friends, talking with your vet um, as to what um, what insurance companies they recommend. That's that's going to be huge. And I think the more people that have pet insurance, they'll be able to do more for their pets. And um, of course, that would go to the veterinary teams and. Um, it would be great to see it um, one day if, say, if every, in an ideal world, every pet owner had pet insurance, they went to the vet for their basic vaccines, did, you know, did an annual lab work panel, and were able to keep their pet, pet well for the majority of its life and find any issues early, then then could we pay our people more or can we pay our people more, but we're just not doing it. Um, so that's, I think, a, a big question um, that that's there. 
Um, do you think the, do you think the money is there to pay the people more? Because I mean, the industry is there's so much private equity, there's so much venture capital coming in. Um, there are fewer and fewer vet owned, you know, maybe group vet owned even um, clinics. So, you know, again, with Mars owning the majority of vet hospitals in North America, there's gotta be a lot of money in it. Otherwise they wouldn't be in it. I mean, there, and it's also layers of profit between food, mm -hmm. the lab work, that the labs that they own and the hospitals, it's layers of profit and synergies that they put together. And it's, right. of course it's, it's absolutely uh, genius, but as far as regulatory goes, is this, is this okay for this industry? I think I read somewhere too that the Mars family is maybe like way up there in one of the richest families in the United States. So I think third richest in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so third that's just in the world. Like reading that and you know, knowing, you know, knowing what we do about all of the how much of the pet industry they own makes me believe that the money is there. Um, there's there's some newer veterinary um, practices that have been opening. Veg is one of them. And I think they pay top of the line for their technicians. I think they pay $40 an hour, um, but that's unheard of. So that makes me believe that it's there, but there's something that's not allowing that to happen or maybe everybody's become so used to veterinary industry being a low paying industry that if you wanna be in it, that's what you're gonna get but now people are demanding more and they're like, well, I'm not gonna do this or I'm not gonna work here if I'm not paid X amount amount. And now there's, you know, the signing bonuses mm -hmm. for veterinarians and veterinary technicians are insane. <laughs> I'm just like, why can't we just keep the good people we have and pay them what they're worth? Yeah, that I mean, great for signing bonuses because there's, yeah. people have, exited the the industry right. right but so these organizations need them back so yes give them the signing bonuses I'm, I'm all for that but if you can afford those signing bonuses then um the fees that pet owners are paying and you know this mm -hmm. are so exorbitant that i think more needs to go into the people without right. people we have nothing without each other mm -hmm. what the hell do we have exactly how am I going to be treated if a good veterinarian is not there or someone that's new being thrown into the wolf's den right. not asking me the right questions and I know more than them? Mm. That's kind of, yeah. I, I don't want that. Right. And I think Fear Free has done a good job too about, they have a pet mm -hmm. owner course about Fear Free Happy Homes. I haven't taken it myself, but um, I think that's a step in the right direction. I've seen more of Good these point. educational seminars available to pet owners. Um, for example, one of the um, specialists in the area here, they have trainers as part of their practice, um, like what to expect and go through that with somebody. So I think the more that we can educate pet owners or at least have the resources available to them, because veterinary clinics have access to a lot of resources, but, you know, finding it or remembering to put it as part of, you know, the go home 
part for that pet owner, you know, it all, it all adds up if you're doing it 20, 30 times a day. Yep. Of course, you're going to forget if it's not readily accessible, but there are a lot of resources out there. And I think if, I think we've kind of also shot ourselves in the foot by um, kind of scaring owners that if anything happens to your animal, everything is kind of an emergency and you have to come see us. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily. So I think um, I think being able to give pet owners a little bit more ownership in terms of their pet's medical care um, will take a huge burden off of the veterinary industry where they can start practicing better medicine. They can start um, doing some of these things that we talked about, about, you know, training and developing their teams or exploring the different options for pet food. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily just, hey, this is the brand we sell, feed this to your dog, but well, actually have- can't be, don't, You can't use fear. It should never be used. Here are your options. You have right. the choice. Choice. Mm-hmm. We all have choice. I choose to feed raw. I right. choose to feed cooked. I choose to never feed kibble, but mm-hmm. that's my choice. That's right. my, but if I had an animal who would only eat kibble because that's what he was accustomed to, I would have to start there. It would be a right. slow transition. I can't starve him. Right. And right. I have to give him the opportunity to transition. And it takes time. Right. But I have to make that choice to do that. Mm-hmm. And I have to educate myself on how to do it. And the animal's well-being comes into play. I think people are, are now, even a lot of veterinarians are questioning a lot of these previous treatments and you know that's also I think backing them up because they want to take the time to really dig into this pet's history and figure out what's worked what hasn't why are we doing certain things especially if they're taking over a case for a vet that might no longer be at that practice or mm-hmm. doesn't have the availability yep so I mean I can say from my personal experience as well my one of my dogs has been experiencing some back issues and you know, we tried all the medication, but then I was like, none of this is working. Like, let me go see a chiropractor or re- rehabilitation specialist. And he started healing. He started getting better. So mm-hmm. it just really, I think that's what really got me thinking more in the holistic route. I think holistic yeah. care is definitely going to be a big part of veterinary medicine, like kind of moving a little bit away from the pharmaceutical so much. And um, consumers are becoming more educated. They are mm-hmm. going and looking at vets online who are speaking out like Karen Becker and Dr. Mm. Judy Morgan, you know, these vets are speaking out and, you know, Dr. Connor Brady with raw food. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. These vets are speaking out because they see the destruction that was caused by the corporate mindset, forgetting Mm -hmm. that we're all individuals and we're right. seeing it in, in, our, in our own medicine. We're seeing it with our own medical care, with our own doctors. You know, right. it's this frustration, mm-hmm. of miscommunication, too many drugs. And in the end, food is food and it's a personal decision. Right. Um, or yeah, an organization like the AVMA to create havoc by calling something dangerous. And mm-hmm. then Purina MRs going on behind that and going on the bandwagon and saying it's dangerous. And the other thing, and I'm sorry to keep doing, doing this, but no, you're now, and now Mars has a human grade food when five years ago, they were like, you know, they were kiboshing it. They're now, because it's a growing side of the industry, they're all in. So right. 
why support these organizations? I mean, I won't go to a Blue Fur or Pearl or a VCA or a Banfield. I won't. I'll go to a, I'll go to a VEG or go to a teaching hospital or mm -hmm. my local guy who's still local, which is, oh my God, so rare these days. Right. You know, it's frustrating as a pet owner that the community is not a community. The veterinary community is really not a community. It's mm -hmm. broken. Right. And everyone running out saying burnout is a scary thing to me. Are mm -hmm. we going to have good people in five yeah. years? Can I continue yeah. to be a pet owner who can rely on um, animal hospitals doing what they're supposed to, to take care of the animal and take care of them well with having right. people in there that are capable? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've even thought, I was like, um, if it keeps kind of going like this, I don't know if, you know, after my dogs now, like if I'm going to get another pet right away, mm -hmm. because what if they, I don't have access to that care. And you know what, the same organizations that are, yeah, destroying the system are the ones who are benefiting from it right now with this hundred billion dollar industry. If you with your three dogs and me with my four cats and dog, if I decide to not get an animal, the amount of money I'm putting into the system, paying these organizations, paying, you know, the paying in the pet industry, the industry will diminish. It won't be this hundred billion dollar industry. Right. All these private equity firms and venture capital people, if you can't get the care that you need, eventually mm -hmm. you're, you're going to say, okay, I don't want to put an animal through that. I don't right. want to feel their hurt. I don't want them to go through something so tragic of being misdiagnosed, mm -hmm. not cared for properly, um, you know, euthanized for the wrong reasons because, right. yeah, you know, it was missed. I mean, one of my clients, his dog had lepto, the veterinary clinic said he's in chronic, he's in kidney failure, put him down. Two months ago, his kidneys were functioning fine. They didn't check him mm. for lepto. Mm. Why didn't you check him for it? And he went to, I said, go to another emergency hospital, forget this one, go to another one. Right. I don't care that this, it's not near you. Went to another one, lepto, started treatment, dog's doing great, but misdiagnosis, right. go ahead, put down an eight-year-old dog. Yeah, because you're misdiagnosing because you are exhausted because you're right. being told to rush through the through the visit because mm -hmm. um, there are people waiting behind him and you have to get through everybody right. while your shift is while you're still on shift. You yeah, want to have a pet in this environment? That's scary. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. So I think here is where veterinary specialists are definitely coming more into play. But again, there's only so many of them. I think general practitioners used to be the go-to for everything, whereas now they're they're already so overwhelmed with what they have, they're referring out a lot more. So, you know, if there's a case that, you know, that has a chronic neurologic issue and they can't figure it out, they refer to the neurologist, whereas sometimes you can't get an appointment for two or three months. Yeah. Um, and so I think specialists are great because they're specialized obviously in um, what they're seeing that animal for. And I think you're get, then you get better care or more comprehensive care when you're focused on a certain problem with somebody who specializes in that department. <clears throat> I think we also have to be cognizant of the fact of, um, you know, what can we see in-house versus what do we need to 
refer out and you know if referral is the best thing for that animal I think that's great if a veterinarian is like I'm only comfortable with doing general practice and minor emergencies and some surgeries I think we need to start listening more to our vets and our teams to see you know what they're comfortable with as well as assess what is in the surrounding area and do we have access to those things because our vets are your general practitioners speaking up the ones that are I mean are they speaking up and saying this is all I know this is as far as I can go with the information without having to go spend hours in researching and speaking to other specialists you need to go see a specialist with the data that I you know with the with the um, diagnostics that we have so far are your general practitioners open-minded enough in general I'm generalizing obviously but are they um is ego a factor are they open-minded enough to say no you need to see a specialist um or are they trying to be all to everybody I think they're definitely more open-minded especially since the beginning of the pandemic like just if we just talk about the last two years I think general practitioners are definitely more open-minded about referring out you know certain surgeries or um, cases to somebody that may have more information or might be able to give give their pet a better chance but I think we also have the pet owners who are like well you've seen my pet its whole life I want you to figure it out um so you're right, you're right. So, I have, <laughs> so I have seen vets who are like okay well let me get on the phone with a specialist and see like what we can do where I can kind of be the middleman but that's getting harder and harder to do and you know initially I was you know I was guilty of that as well I was like well you've been my dog's vet like why don't you figure it out like why can't you figure it out um and then finally I'm the opposite I'm like who's the top specialist who's going to handle this stenosis or something you know <laughs> right yeah. I'm so not gonna let my general practitioner track you know right like, so then I eventually it was like okay fine I'll go see the specialist and then you know, with my second dog, like right away, I was like, okay, this is getting worse. It's not working. Like, let me go see somebody who like knows exactly yeah. this, you know, these Let's symptoms. Problem. Right. Well, you know, it's like, oh, if you, if your teeth are hurting, you're not going to go to a gynecologist, you know, right. if you have a toothache, you're not going to gynecologist. I mean, it's just, the, the world just doesn't work that way. And I've said this right. line before, but I don't know what we don't, why, as pet owners, we're not applying that to our pets. Right. And I think it also might be that, like I didn't, I had no idea there were specialists for animals until I started working in the field. Whereas I think now it's becoming a little bit more like common and not so much, so, so much of a foreign concept, but I think it's, I think a lot of people still don't realize that there are specialists for animals, especially um, some of the newer pet owners, they, you know, why would they know kind of thing and I think there's a psychological um there's a psychological connection to the to the choices pet owners make like they get stuck they they're afraid of make change because they think that if they go to somebody new they're going to hear something even worse as opposed to something could actually be resolved right. but then the fear comes in of how much money am I spending is this going to mm -hmm. cost more so again this it's this I feel like everyone's kind of on the seesaw, you know, yes, no, yes, no, up, down, up, down, up, down, what do I do? And then in the end, one side's going to be up, the other side's going to be down no matter what. Yeah. And you hope that your pet's not the one who's down there. You right. hope, every, you know, you hope that 
all the choices you made are going to elevate your pet's health and needs, but Mm -hmm. you got to make a choice, especially when there's sickness. Right. And you got to have common sense about it. So I think that's where education, common sense Mm -hmm. in preventive care with regular Mm -hmm. maintenance, regular blood work, understanding what that blood work means, getting copies of it in case something happens. What if your vet clinic shuts down right i mean you got to be able to take have the data and be able to go somewhere else right get copies of everything mm-hmm. so there's so many things that pet owners can do and also it'll help and if the vet says look i can't see you and you you do have an emergency you have your pet's result and they don't have you don't have to call the your old vet right. clinic and have people who you pissed off because you didn't pay your bill or something right I'm just saying, I'm talking mm-hmm. to the pet owners here, and now we're talking about vets. It, it all comes together, though. It does. Um, yeah. So what do you see this looking like? Tell me, tell me, give me an, a, the picture that you see. What, what do things look like now? And where do you think we will be in five years? So I think um, right now I see a lot of that professionals asking for what they deserve, um, what they're capable of. So they're asking for, you know, the salary they want, the schedule they want, um, the benefits that they want, and um, what their ideal scenario is in providing the best patient care. So I see a lot more of that. I see them demanding what they deserve, which I think is a good thing. And given the state of the industry, they a lot of practices don't really have a choice. They're kind of in this desperate zone where they need the people. And so they're able, somehow they're able to do that now, but it has to be like, a, am putting my foot down and this is what I want. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of veterinary professionals are also wanting to deliver better medicine and they're taking those extra steps to find out um, what, potential treatment options there could be. Um, I think the veterinary community is starting to collaborate more as well. So just since publishing my book, and even prior to that, I've um, talked to and collaborated with a lot of individuals who kind of have the same um, futuristic view of how do we, how do we solve some of these problems in the vet industry? this is the problem, this is what I'm going to do, and hopefully this is what it does. Um, So I think there's a lot of people who are working towards making things better. There's more awareness about um, mental health challenges for veterinary professionals, and some companies are providing that support. So I think if we're we're focusing on the mental health of veterinary professionals, um, that's obviously going to make you know, make the person that's delivering that care more wholesome and um, better at what they're doing. Um, And then lastly, I think telehealth and telemedicine can take a huge burden off um, as long as we kind of start standardizing the education of our vet assistants and our vet techs. If we can, um, if we can have our support staff work with our veterinarians and find ways on how to triage some of these things that maybe a follow-up can be a telemedicine appointment or after the initial exam if the pet doesn't actually need anything we can get on the phone and have a consult um, talk about what's going on what can we change how the pet's doing Um, it's a little bit difficult because of, of course 
the pet can't say anything and you kind of have to put your hands on it. But I think if we're dealing with a chronic issue where we don't necessarily need to put hands on the pet, um, telehealth and telemedicine can definitely um, come in handy. So I think if we start taking some of these things and taking them to the future, um, we can definitely curb some of the industry trends and of course um, pet owner education and just knowing like what are the basic needs of pets so you know training there are a lot of grooming needs nail trims things like that um, pet owners can do these things at home um, they can watch youtube videos they can ask their veterinary staff they can ask their groomer how do i condition my pet to enjoy nail trims and they can start doing that at home without you know, causing, causing the nails to bleed out or anything like that. Um, we've definitely had more pet owners ask, hey, can you teach me how to do a nail trim so I can do this at home? Um, so I think things like that will definitely take a burden off of the veterinary industry so that they can progress medicine. Yeah, I always wondered why grooming and I mean, if a, if a vet sees an animal is, um, unkept and, and there's, there's a problem, obviously that there's a teaching moment from right. for the vet at that point to the owner. But in general, that shouldn't be for the vets. That's the pet owner. You right. know, it's like telling a person, Hey, you stink. You haven't showered for two weeks. You mm -hmm. know, next time before you come into your doctor's appointment, shower you know, right. so, <laughs> or try to do it every few days. It's just, Again, common sense skills for mm -hmm. pet owners. Perhaps there needs to be a course for pet owners before they're allowed to adopt animals or make a purchase. But right. it's such a, again, money is what drives many of these pet businesses, mm -hmm. whether they're hospitals, food companies, um, online platforms, direct consumers, right. you know it's money that's driving it. It's not really about the animal. Yeah. You, know, you and I mm -hmm. are different. We care about right. the animals. Right. Um, I think that's what makes it so hard for the people that are in the field. They, especially the technician group, they care so much about that animal. And when they aren't able to do what's in the best interest of that pet, or they're limited by management or whatever it is, then, you know, that, every single time that happens, it crushes them, crushes them, crushes them until they just don't have any more to give. That sounds like burnout. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's the, the overwork. I think it's just mm -hmm. being crushed by the bullshit. Perfectly right. fine. Where do you want to leave us? Other than everyone, you should, everyone should get this book, a par partnership. I will have a link to your book on the show notes. Awesome. So everyone Thank can buy you. it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for sending me a sending me a copy and allowing me to read it. Of course, yes, I would definitely say um, if you have an opportunity, please read a Paw Partnership. You'll learn a lot about the veterinary industry, the current state. Um, these things haven't just been happening over COVID; they've kind of been building up um, over time. And if you're, you know, if you're thinking about adopting a pet, please become educated about what what pet ownership entails and um, how you can be the best pet owner for your fur baby. So I would definitely say read a paw partnership, 
if you're thinking about adopting a pet, feel free to reach out to me, reach out to Taz. Um, we can definitely give you some pointers on what to expect and what kind of comes along. And if you have a specific breed, become familiar with, um, with what to expect as well. So thank you so much for doing this. Mm -hmm.